Hey, it's Rachel here with your radio sisters, Bo and Allie, and thanks for hanging out with us right here on the Mulberry Lane Show. You know, there are so many places you can spend your time, but we're super stoked that you're here with us. We promise to make it worth your while. Yes, we will. Okay, guys, listen up. Today, we want to talk about taking action. Now, taking messy action is better than taking no action. So many times, if you think about it, you hesitate to start because you think you're not ready. Now, you guys, if we waited to start until we were ready, you would not be hearing this show today. So true. (laughs) That's right, Allie. So right now, we want you to think about that project that dream, that's something that's on your heart that you feel deep inside. But you keep putting it off because you don't quite feel ready. We want you to know that your gifts need to see the light of day and only you can flip that switch and decide to take that first step, even though that step might be messy and imperfect, just do it. Absolutely. So these guests stopping by your weekend are going to help you light a path on that road. Let's get to it, sisters. Let's do it, Bo. The Mulberry Lane Show's on. Celebrity story songs. You're gonna have it going on when we tell you who's stopping by now. Up first today, you're gonna hear from this guy. So bye-bye, Miss American Pie. Drove my Chevy to the levee, but the levee was dry. The iconic singer-songwriter behind that song joins your weekend. Yes, Don McLean is here. You're going to hear some golden nuggets of recording stories, including American Pie. He talks about all of the effort he put into working on his tone of both his guitar and his voice, and why he still gives his all for every performance. There's a lot of really good tips in here for musicians and songwriters, and a lot of really great stories for just music lovers in general. Yes. So we're really excited about sharing this with you today. Rachel? So do you love playing board games like Monopoly, Dungeons and Dragons, and chess? Now, in a decidedly digital gaming world, Ian Livingstone has managed to turn his passion of board games into an actual money-making career. Now, you might know him from the best-selling role-playing game book, Fighting Fantasy. And today, you're going to hear all about his latest book, Board Games in 100 Moves, 8,000 Years of Playing. Well, Ian shares how he turned his passion into a career and how important playing games is for your life and creativity. Okay, Allie, who's next? Okay, well, do you have 20 cents and an idea? Dana Isom Johnson, Etsy trend expert and judge on the NBC show Making It, she says if you're thinking of taking the plunge and starting a maker business on Etsy, she gives some excellent tips on launching your Etsy business. Now, you don't want to miss this interview with Dana. That's right. And if you're an Etsy buyer, guys, I just bought something off Etsy last night. As always, it's a great place for unique gifts and a place to support makers. And it's always free shipping. Bonus. And today, Dana also sprinkles your weekend with some of the fall's best and easiest fashion updates. Also, a simple home decor tip. Take notes, guys. Okay, before we go all in, Allie, you have a super busy weekend. I do. So I'm wondering how many listeners have the same situation. So my son Luke was born on my husband's and my one year wedding anniversary. So ever since that day, we have our wedding anniversary and Luke's birthday on the same day. That date is September 20th. So this weekend, it's all about celebrating his birthday and grabbing a few romantic moments, which are few and far between. (laughs) That's your challenge this weekend. It 
is. It is. And I was telling a friend about this the other day, and she was like, "Wow, your son was born on your anniversary." She goes, "I hope you got a really good anniversary present for that." And I was like, "Um, our son was our anniversary <laughs> present." <laughs> and we knew from that moment on that our anniversary would forever be upstaged by Luke. Sometimes you just gotta love the way it happens. Yep, and this is what I say to Dave. I'll plan Luke's birthday party. You plan the anniversary. Guess which one gets done. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, this show is definitely getting done. It is. Up first, legendary singer-songwriter Don McLean. Mm -hmm. He's coming at you strong today. You're going to hear the backstory of American Pie and a lot of other gems of wisdom from Don. Keep it right here with your radio sisters on The The Mulberry Mulberry Lane Show. I'm Bo, here with my sisters, Rachel and Allie. This segment is brought to you by Braddock Finnegan Dermatology, advanced comprehensive medical, surgical, and cosmetic dermatologic care. BraddockFinnegan.com. It's your weekend getaway, guys. You're hanging out here on the Mulberry Lane Show. It's Allie along with your radio sisters, Rachel and Bo. Glad you're here with us. Well, his iconic song, American Pie, was recently added by the Library of Congress. The song was also named one of the top five songs of the 20th century and was inducted into the Grammy Hall of Fame. Guys, we are starry, starry-eyed right now. Don McLean is here. Welcome, welcome to the show, Don McLean. Thank you. Thank you very much. And, uh... You're out of Omaha, is that correct? Yes, that is true. I'm quite a fan of Omaha, Nebraska. A little known place. There's a lot of big corporations or anything else there. Yes, it's a gem of a place, for sure. Uh Uh-huh. Now, from your first public performance in front of your school classmates to now, you've really been able to captivate audiences with your lyrics, your voice, and your songs. That's not done the way you do it very often. So what is your secret? I practiced a lot when I was young, and I worked very hard at tone. Okay. The tone of my guitar, the tone of the banjo, the tone of my voice. Tone is very, very important. And then the blending of guitar and voice. And it took hours every day of vocalizing and practicing. So what did you look for? You want to build your voice. Your voice is a muscle. You can add notes to the top of your register. You can add notes to the middle of your register to make them stronger and add lower notes as well. It takes work to do that, but you have a muscle that if you don't overdo it, you have to rest your voice. So now were these things you were taught by a vocal coach or were these things that you just discovered on your own? Well, I would read a lot stories about Frank Sinatra. I like the way he sang. I like his dynamic. He says you have to warm the voice up and you can't be yelling. And when I go on a tour, one of these tours of the UK or of Europe, I spend a lot of time asleep in the bus. Okay. Just saving my voice because I'm there to work, not to sightsee. So you keep it business and take care of your instrument, basically. Yeah. And you know you have a lot of muscles that come from around your neck that control your voice box. And if you stretch those, you won't have any volume in your voice. I, I work with Judy Collins sometimes. And she sings beautifully every mm-hmm. night, and she takes care of it. You know, uh-huh. She doesn't smoke. I like to drink once in a while. So, you know, <laughs> you got to do it every once in a while. Yeah. <laughs> Well, if you just joined us, you're listening to singer-songwriter Don McLean here on the Mulberry Lane Show. 
Now, I read you are a word lover. You love language. So how much do you labor over words when you're writing? A lot of times, if you write a line in a song, and it's just kind of laying there to connect with another line, you're better off getting rid of it and figuring out what you want to say. When you get rid of a, of a weak line in the song, okay. and you figure out something that's really good, it'll change the whole perspective of the song because now all of a sudden you figured out what you really wanted to say but you couldn't quite do it so you're putting in these BS kind of lines in there to kind of make it to the next line and you weren't repaying what you had on your mind. One of the things that I set out to do in my own way and I don't have a kind of Vesuvius of creativity like uh, you know Bob Dylan has or Bruce Springsteen seems to come out with this stuff. I don't have that. I'm very thoughtful about what I do. and, and I'm not that they're not thoughtful, but I think about the concept of the song, and I want to try to write new lyrics for the song okay. that are different from other lyrics that I've written. So you're very so, intentional with your word yeah, choices. you're totally intentional. I'm creating a whole new picture. Uh-huh. Do you write in pictures? I am a visual kind of writer, but what I tell people I try to do is if I have a feeling inside of me about something, you can write a song about a baby, then you've got to figure out what's the feeling that you get from the baby. And once that is in you, then you want to try to find a way of musically and with lyrics to... Uh-huh. Capture that so that each time you hear the song, that feeling comes back to you. Now, talk about the recording session of American Pie. You know, before the fame, the alkalides, the royalty checks. Don playing in the studio, laying that track and that vocal down. Paint us that picture. Well, I had a producer that didn't want me to play the guitar and didn't particularly like my singing. (laughs) You're kidding. No. And uh, so he came into the project... Uh, not quite sure, you know, he liked the idea. And I liked a couple of things that I heard him do, and I didn't have a lot of options because I was, you know, just getting started. So we had a rather contentious relationship. Okay. Uh, you know, from Contentious the good, that good came out of it, or contentious that it was difficult to perform your best? He was a groove killer. Okay. And, you know, it doesn't take much to kill a groove with musicians. A producer, in addition to being a musical genius, should also be a very good hand-holder. And, Psychologist, and really. Yeah, and be supportive of an artist so that he feels comfortable and he is excited about doing his best work. And this guy was not the guy. Did not give and, it to you, yeah. No, and I didn't like it. And I'll be quite frank about it. So, you know, there would be moments when some good stuff would happen that I would like, but that was not a pleasant experience. Uh, It was like pulling teeth. Okay. And the first thing that we did was a rehearsal of some of the songs before I had written American Pie. And at that point, he did some good things, you know, that I liked. That would keep me going and say, yeah, that's cool, I like that. Or I feel like I'm making a better record than the one before from a production standpoint and so on. Okay, so you had to make that decision whether you were professionally happy but not personally happy, and you chose that. 
that's a good observation and that's correct. Uh-huh. I mean, I'm not easy to get along with either. I'm not making you think that I'm, you know, a day at the beat. <laughs> <laughs> and you're willing to admit it, too. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I know what I want. Uh-huh. And that's always well, a that's problem. part of being an artist, though. It is. and But, you know, you don't want to be, I don't know. Uh, again, I had thoughts in my head and feelings in my heart that I wanted to get onto vinyl. Uh-huh. And I felt like I sometimes wasn't satisfied. But I didn't really blame anybody around me. I kept working with people, you know, trying to get like what I wanted. I finally did. And, you know, when I heard the American Pie album, I was very proud of it. And I okay. thought that, you know, he had done a good job. And we, in spite of our difficulties, have made a very fine record. Now, do you think that the tension and stress that that caused actually ended up, you know, raising the level of it? Or do you think it turned out well in spite of the tension? I don't know the answer to that. Um, I know I wasn't going to lose. You know, I was going to win. Uh I know I was going to get what I was after. Uh You know, and I didn't care what happened. Because there was a lot of stress because, you know, once I wrote American Pie, the players really didn't understand the song. It was very boring, and they were playing it very badly. I got a lot of looks like, what does this guy think he is? You know, we're a New York session musician. So it's not our fault. All the song stinks. You know, we're a great song. Okay, so how did you handle that? What did you do? Again, I got to give the producer credit. He came up with this. Uh, gospel piano player, Paul Griffin, and this is how I remember it. Now, I could be wrong, but I remember Paul coming in, and he heard my acoustic guitar, and I was pounding that guitar, because I play rhythm guitar for real. Okay. And he started pumping that piano, man, and everybody jumped right in on the groove that he had created. So that changed the whole dynamic right there. Totally. Wow. And so he finished the track, and everybody, you know, was pretty excited. And he said, man, when I heard that acoustic guitar in my headphones, man, I knew just what to do. So my guitar playing, actually, which he didn't want on the record, was the thing that transmitted to the piano player what it is I wanted. It's such amazing, the chain reaction of things that happen. That's the reason, you know, musicians are very sensitive people, sensitive artists, always wanted to get along with people. Uh-huh. They get along with their colleagues, charming, uh-huh. and they're very willing, you know, to do whatever it takes. But if he's a jerk and he says things that, you know, kill a groove, kill a session vibe, he's not going to work. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's a very fragile thing. It is. Uh-huh. It is. You've got to start with good material. The producer has to be on the same page with the artist. I would have liked to have a heavier drum bass feel on a bunch of other things on the American Pie album. The production tended to be a little wimpy. It's funny because I just did a BBC documentary uh-huh. about making of the album. And we went to the studio, Capitol Records, and I brought up the tape, and they opened up all the tapes, you know, all the tracks, and I was there listening to the playback, and they were isolating drums and this and that, you know. Uh-huh. And I just kicked the drums up and the bass up and the damn thing sounded so much better, you know? <laughs> it was just a matter of a week, you know, and it just so much better. Singer-songwriter Don McLean getting real about his music here on the Mulberry Lane Show. When we come back, more with Don. There's always more to talk about. Keep it right here with your radio sisters. We'll be right back. The music died. I started singing by 
Well, Dr. Mary Finnegan of Braddock Finnegan Dermatology is here to tell you about Aqua Gold. So Aqua Gold is a small vial that has small stainless steel needles that are finer than a human hair in which we can leave product in the surface of the skin. The procedure takes about 15 minutes for the whole face. It gives a very dewy look, an airbrushed look. There's mild redness, otherwise no downtime at all. Aqua Gold at Braddock Finnegan Dermatology. That's Braddock Finnegan You've got it dialed in right here on the Mulberry Lane Show. I'm Bo, here with my sisters Rachel and Allie. Well, if you just joined us, singer-songwriter Don McLean, who of course wrote the amazing songs American Pie and Starry Starry Night, among many others, he's stopping by your weekend to talk about all things music and songwriting. So let's get back with Don McLean. Of all these places that you've been and the incredible you know, performances you've done, do you have a favorite or a most meaningful performance throughout your career? You know, when I succeeded at something, and I, I must say I think I succeeded most of the time, it's just another success. But I remember the failures okay. very well. Interesting. So I- those made more of an impression on you. Yeah, that really makes <laughs> <laughs> Well, I guess when you have enough success, the failure would stand out, whereas most people, yeah. they failed so much, the success stands out. <laughs> Share a story with us, then. I remember it very vividly and very painfully. first time I played Carnegie Hall was not a success. Okay. So that's one of the things that stands out. What most. happened? I just didn't communicate with the audience. I was nervous and... Uh, it was an off night. It just was tight, and the audience was packed, you know. So what do you say to yourself after that? Do you just chalk it up to, I was off, or do you get mad at yourself? What do you do? It's very, very painful. Extremely painful. It lingers for a long time. It's like everything else. You're only licked when you quit. Okay. So you get up, and uh, the next year I nail the audience. I played it again, and I killed it. Okay, so now that next year... Did you build it up in your head and were the stakes really high and was that a difficult performance for you or how did you handle that? Well, I figured I'd already screwed up totally so how bad could be. The only way was up, right? And did a good show and they loved it. So that was that. So you redeemed uh, yourself. Yeah, and but the thing is if you quit, then you're beat. You mustn't quit. You know, I've always had one goal in mind, which was to be as good an artist as I could be, to learn all kinds of new things, and songwriting became a new thing later on. I didn't think I could write songs, but I learned to sing better, learned to perform better, become more relaxed on stage, take care of your physical appearance as much as possible, I mean, without becoming some sort of a plastic surgery freak, you know, and dress well, dress well for the audience. If you just joined us, you're listening to singer-songwriter Don McLean here on the Mulberry Lane Show. Now, your song, And I Love You So, was covered by Elvis Presley, and the Perry Como version of that song got a Grammy nomination, but it was beat out by the song Killing Me Softly with his song, which was inspired by you. So did you count that as a loss or a victory? I would say the whole thing was phenomenal because uh, Perry Como was my my mother's favorite singer, and 
Whereas having a song that is as nice as that song, Killing Yourself, was, you know, that I'm the young boy in the song, I mean, and I am, according to Lori Lieberman, that that's a tremendous thing. I mean, <laughs> a beautiful thing. You know, that will last longer than any award. Now, we have a lot of singers and songwriters and musicians that listen to this show. So if you were to leave them with advice, what would your advice be to the aspiring artist? Two things that I would say. The first thing would be to know as much about, you know, good music as you can. Know all your all your music from the, the 70s. After the mid-80s, you can quit listening. <laughs> uh, going backwards, let's say, even to the 1920s, learn as much as you can about all the different artists and the things they sang. And it's all there on YouTube. And you must fill your mind with good melodies and interesting song ideas. Then get yourself a good transactional lawyer. <laughs> You're going to have to sign something at some point. Mm-hmm. We can tell you in simple language, you know, what it is you're signing, what you're getting and what you're giving away, you know, because the music business is a very tough business for people who are not savvy about contracts. Because the, the idea of the music business is that the artist should pay for everything and the record company should own it, everything. You want to know what it is you're getting into. And don't be afraid to ask for changes. They can always say no. Right. Okay, those are great pieces of advice. And before we let you go, the song American Pie, singing that song night after night after night, do you still get new meaning from it? What I enjoy is like for example and i love you so the audience loves that song and of course they love american pie and then they love many other songs that i sing if you're an artist that needs to always enjoy everything that you're doing otherwise you don't want to do it for the audience and you're not a performer you should stay home you should be tired because your job is to put all that aside and go out there and never do a performance that isn't the best possible performance you're capable of that night and i always think about joe dimaggio who was old and he was playing baseball and he was still sliding hard into third and running hard to first and and digging out there in the outfield and catching those balls and they said why do you work so hard he said because somebody might be here that never saw me before if i go on that stage i want to do a hell of a good show i want to do the best show i can do You know, it's so refreshing hearing this from an icon like you, that you appreciate all of the success and you're still going out there and giving it your all. That's the only way to fly, you know? Listen, you never stay in the center. You're either moving up or you're heading down, all right? There's only two ways you can go. You always got to be working at heading up. Yeah. You know, you you don't want to be heading down. Well, this has been a truly inspirational interview. And Don, just want to thank you for your time. And when your next album is out, we would love to have you back. Well, I really enjoyed talking to you. And remember, I was born right on Mulberry Lane. That's right. So there is a connection, definitely. (laughs) (laughs) And Don, we'll look forward to talking with you again. Well, thank you, my dear. I'll talk to you someday. All right. You know, it doesn't get said any better than that. 
legendary singer-songwriter Don McLean here on the Mulberry Lane Show. Up next, you're hearing from a gamer, not a digital gamer, a board game gamer. Hear about his brand new book and why board games are so good for you and your creativity. Find out next. And I love you so The people ask me how How I've lived till now I tell them I don't know. Hey, it's Allie here with the Mulberry Lane Show. And did you know you can be a part of our free email list every week where you'll get more sister fun, links to archived radio shows, tips on creativity for your life, and real connection. All you have to do is text the word Mulberry to the number 22828, and then you enter in your email. So join the free Mulberry Lane email newsletter and we'll land in your inbox once a week. Text the word Mulberry to 22828. Get fueled up right here with brand new ideas. Thanks for hanging out with your radio sisters. I'm Rachel here with Bo and Allie. Let's get back to it. Monopoly, Risk, Scrabble, or Chess. Did I just name your favorite board game? Well, right now, you're going to take a deep dive into stories behind the games you know and love. Ian Livingstone is the author of the new book, Board Games in 100 Moves, 8,000 Years of Play. He's joining you right now from London. He's going to lay it all out, and whatever you do next, it's your move. Welcome, welcome to the show, Ian Livingstone. Hi there. Fantastic song. Thank you. Oh, thank you. It's so great to have you with us. Mm -hmm. You have in your collection more than 1,000 games. You run a board game group. You're the creator of game books, and you've invented several board games. So why is the time now to release this book? Well, I thought after 8,000 years, it's about time somebody did. (laughs) Seriously. Um, So games have been my life forever. I played a lot of Monopoly at school, and I played chess for the school was able to turn my hobby of playing games into a business, started a company called Games Workshop in the 1970s. We became the official distributors for Dungeons & Dragons in Europe. Wow. So played lots of D&D, but I just loved playing board games. And I think it's time that someone told the story, not just about how the games are played, but the people behind it and the anecdotes and the good stories and bad stories, the whole rich history of games, how they developed from all those thousands of years ago, before the wheel was invented, Yes, people were playing games. It's not just a modern phenomenon. And mm. ironically, how there's been a huge rise in board games at a time where we're kind of living this digital life online. Right. And how do you explain that? Do you think it's kind of the, the balance? I, I think so. The more we go into the internet, the we kind of crave some physicality in our world so there's been a revival in vinyl records in physical books right of course in in physical board games and it's just fun to have some like-minded friends around sitting around the table having fun playing the games and true interaction nagging on the deals, yes interacting face to face and just enjoying that social moment together right so do you feel this idea for the whole book has been brewing in you for several years yes many years I think it's just a question of finding the time I just love the history of, of games and trying to find out about, more about the people behind it we know 
who the songwriters are and the singers and the filmsters are, but no one knows about the people behind board games. That is true. And the game, but not the people. Yes, and, you know, there is so much creativity behind the board games. You know, I don't think often people think of these people as artists in a way, but they are. Yeah, uh, it's a creative process, and uh, it's a combination of, of many skills, and mechanics of, of gameplay and, and mathematics, as it were, and, and involving luck and strategy combining to create this entertainment medium. It's often undervalued, and some of the games are pure genius. I mean, if you just forget about the more popular games of today and just think back to the classics like chess and go, mm -hmm. they're just pure games. The best player will always win. Yeah. And we've been playing, as I said, for thousands of years. You know, 5,000 years ago, the first known game, there were games 8,000 years ago, but no one knew what they, what they were. They just found the boards okay. etched on stones. Mm -hmm. But in 5,000 years ago, there was a game called Senate, which was enjoyed by Tutankhamun. And mm. four sets of Senate were found in his tomb when it was opened in the 1930s. So you know, games playing is not a new phenomenon. Right. Well, right now on the Mulberry Lane Show, you're hearing from Ian Livingstone from London, game lover, game creator, and the author of the new book, Board Games in 100 Moves, 8,000 Years of Play. You're hearing from Ian right here on the Mulberry Lane Show. And so in the book, you feature 100 games. What went into choosing these 100? 100 games, some of my, my favorite games, but many that have, don't necessarily lie, but they're there because they're contribution to the world of games okay. and you know, they've been famous for, for something or other. Okay. So the, the, the games with a story have, have become kind of a, a landmark because I mean you wouldn't want to play Senate because it's pretty boring but it right. has to be in there because it's so important. Because it kind of changed the course of games. Yes and games were pretty boring really until about 1900 in the Victorian times they were just a track and you rolled the dice and moved your piece around the track end of story total yeah. luck right and boring elizabeth mcgee who created the landlord's game in 1903 she made something happen when your piece landed on a square mm -hmm. you could buy or rent property okay. but ironically and sadly she didn't make hardly any money from the landlord's game but it was seen by a guy called charles darrow uh, an engineer and he made his own version of it took elements of it and made it more local um, naming the, the spaces around where he lived. And um, that, oh. he called that version of it Monopoly. Okay. And he sold the rights to, to Parker Brothers. And of course, you know, they were phenomenally successful. He became a millionaire off that. But right. uh, it's tragic for, for Elizabeth, who didn't get any money for it, right. uh, hardly. And, you know, and there's lots of instances of people trying to do it themselves, failing, other people taking the games and being hugely successful. People can find stories like this in the book. All the way through. Uh -huh. You quote in the book George Bernard Shaw, and he said, we don't stop playing because we grow old. We grow old because we stop playing. So before exactly. we let you go, I want you to speak to the importance of keeping play alive in our lives. Well, A, it's social, um, and they give you skills, communication skills, learning about strategy, problem-solving, uh, communication skills. I mean, these are meta-skills for life, and you can learn through play. I think play is a perfect lift. It's a contextual hub for learning, and you're never too young to start playing games, and you're certainly never too old to stop. Life should be a game. I love it. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Ian. My pleasure. I really enjoyed it. 
Well, that was author Ian Livingstone of the new book, Board Games in 100 Moves, 8,000 Years of Play. Pick up or download the book wherever books are sold and then get your game on. When we come back, it's Etsy trend expert and the judge on NBC's hit craft competition series, Making It. It's Dana Isom Johnson. She's going to talk fall's hottest trends, and she also has some tips for creatives and Etsy sellers. Keep it right here with your radio sisters on the Mulberry Lane Show. We're here for you. Rachel here. Just want to give you a personal invitation to get in on more sister fun music and highlights from the radio show. You can head on over to our socials, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, The Mulberry Lane Show. We love having you here and we'd love to meet you over there for more positivity, creativity, and true connection. Be like Albert, Albert Einstein. Creativity is contagious. Pass it on. Welcome back to the Mulberry Lane Show. I'm Bo here with my sisters, Rachel and Allie. Well, it's all about retro this fall, and Dana Isom Johnson, trend expert from Etsy and judge on the NBC hit show, Making It, circles back to your weekend so you can be the most on-point shopper and fashionista. Plus, when you shop on Etsy, you support makers and artists of all kinds, which we can really get behind. Welcome, welcome to the show, Dana Isom Johnson. Hi, thank you so much. You just, you make my day when you do that. Every- oh my God. I love it. And you know, we love having you on the show because you bring such creative inspiration and energy. We love hearing about the latest trends. Okay, the word right now is maximalism. That's right. And what that really means is that you're not afraid to mix and match the colors, the prints, the textures. It's really about making a bold statement in your fashion look. So now some of the things we're seeing are brooches. Yes, it is this movement of granny chic. That's what I'm calling it. (laughs) It's really about you having a modernized approach on it. So whether you want to revise vintage items and make three onto one lapel and kind of have a cluster of brooches, there are these incredible items that makers on Etsy, you know, they'll do like little eyeballs or they'll do cactus brooches or things made out of concrete, like all these creative ways that brooches are being reimagined. So now hair accessories are kind of a big deal now too. Oh my gosh, hair accessories are having a major moment and they are getting a call from the 90s. Pins, headbands, barrettes, and get ready, the scrunchie. The scrunchie is back in full effect. (laughs) Okay, and then patchwork. Mm -hmm. We're seeing kind of in coats and in jackets for the fall. What's really exciting about fashion these days is that you're not just seeing one influence from a specific decade, but you're Uh seeing multiple decades come back at once. Okay. And what I love about Maker Market, like Etsy, is, you know, people can put their goods out there, you know, and there's not just one look. Right, exactly. And I think shopping vintage right now is such a movement because more and more shoppers want to feel like they are being more sustainable and Mm -hmm. leaving less of a mark on the environment. And shopping vintage is certainly a solution for that because you're not buying more, 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 but yet you're breathing new life into an item from decades past. I love that. Etsy trend expert Dana Isom Johnson here on the Mulberry Lane Show. So what are we seeing in home decor? So the major thing that I love for home decor right now is influencing the color of the year that I coined back in 
January, which is burnt orange. Okay. So you'll see a lot of influence of these grounded tones and more natural materials. So you'll see the return of rattan items. So perhaps that's appearing as a chair or even as placemats because okay. you're really getting a more modernized take on those 70s looks maybe from your parents' basement from back in the day. But right. So go getting, digging around, um, yeah. Getting revived. <laughs> yeah. You know, if someone is thinking of selling their goods on Etsy, do you have any advice for what things they need to know just about the marketplace or what makes something successful? Absolutely. So there are a few things that people can consider. The first thing is to make sure that your photography is top-notch. Make sure your pricing is set properly. So... Do some digging in the market. See what your competition is selling them at. Make sure you're not underselling yourself. Right. Because the amount of time and effort and patience and love that you're pouring into making these items, yes. you need to make sure you're pricing them accordingly. Okay. And then the last thing that I think is really important, especially for shoppers and makers, you know, right now we recently introduced the fact that the majority of our items on Etsy are shipping for free. And so we want to make sure that when shoppers come to Etsy, they are not only finding those special and unique items that can't be found anywhere else, but also that it is competitive enough with the rest of the outside world and that's shipping for free and meeting the needs of the shoppers. Okay. Now let's suppose someone is listening that has been considering doing Etsy, but they're just on the fence. What words would you uh, have for them selling their goods? I would say... When you join the Etsy community, you not only have access to over 40 million shoppers from around the globe, Mm -hmm. 40 million buyers, you also have the access to join a community who's going to try to uplift you. So you can join teams in your local areas and get expert advice from other sellers who are doing well. Because we are a community of makers. So we're not hardcore and not wanting everyone to succeed. We want people to succeed. And the last thing is that we are absolutely the lowest barrier to entry to start a business. All it takes is 20 cents and an idea. Okay. Mm, love that. <laughs> you can definitely get behind that. And you know, I love the fact that it is a community because so many creatives have the creative brain, but then we struggle with the business side and how to price and how to, you know, how to work the business side. So I think it's so awesome that Etsy provides that support as well. Yes. Thank you. Yes. And Dana, we always love having you on the show and I'm sure we'll be catching up next season for the latest trends. Oh yeah. Talk to you guys then. Thank you so much. All right. Take care. Check out Etsy.com for all your shopping needs. That's Etsy trend expert Dana Isom Johnson. Also, check out the hit NBC show, Making It, where Dana is a judge. Well, now we've gotten to that part of the show where we share with you the best bits of advice from each guest on this episode. This is called Show Notes. Let's hit it, sisters. Well, first you heard from legendary singer-songwriter Don McLean. He gives advice to you musicians and music artists. Now, he said two things. The first one is know as much about good music as you can, from the 20s to the 70s. Now, he said you can skip the mid-80s. <laughs> I'm not sure what you think about that, but Don says skip the mid-80s. He says to fill your mind with good melodies and song ideas. And the second tip, he said get yourself a good transactional lawyer. Must be speaking from experience there. <laughs> he said you need to know about the contract you're signing. It's a tough business for creatives who aren't business savvy. So he said it's important to know what you're getting into and don't be afraid to ask for changes. Because the worst they can say is no, but just make sure you ask. 
That's right. So if you're at that point in your career, you got to take that advice from Don. Mm-hmm. All right, Rachel, who else? Then you heard from board game expert Ian Livingstone, who turned his passion of playing games into best-selling books and a full-time career. And guys, he did this in a world full of digital gamers. So Ian proves that if you have a passion for something and some imagination, you too can find a way to turn your hobby into a business. Mm -hmm. He sings the praises of playing board games and says when you play, it makes you more social, gives you communication, problem-solving, and strategizing skills. And he says life should be a game, the best game you'll ever play. And check out his brand new book, Board Games in 100 Moves. 8,000 years of play, now that's a long time. (laughs) Okay, sisters, last one. Well, then you guys hung out with Dana Isom Johnson. She's the Etsy trend expert, and she shared some tangible tips for selling online. She said, get top-notch photography. Mm. Second, she said, set your pricing well, research your competition, don't undersell yourself because there's a lot of love in what you make. Yeah, I gotta price that love in there. Mm-hmm. And what else did she say, Rachel? She also said, get in the free shipping lane on Etsy and get involved in the Etsy community, a community of people all about uplifting you and making sure you're successful so you don't have to go it alone. Yep, sometimes it can get lonely, so you gotta find a remedy for that. Yep, my sisters. <laughs> <laughs> and we will be your adopted sisters as well. That's right. And we'll be here same time, same place next weekend mm-hmm. here on the Mulberry Lane Show. We'll be waiting for you. Bo, stay happy and stay blessed. Allie, don't forget to be awesome. Rachel, that's a wrap. I don't love you for your money.